0: So, we are continuing, as we have the past couple weeks here, with our topic of salvation. I always kind of <laughs> like to give that little bit of a recap. But right now, we're in this opening section of salvation as to the why we accept salvation. And for the past couple weeks... We kind of first hit on the why being of God's grace, his unmerited favor bestowed onto us guilty sinners, and then last week we had an in-depth, but I think good conversation on the topic of election, so probably not all questions were answered, but that's what, you, that's what we get for only sticking on it for 40 minutes, right, so, but we had a good conversation about that. And that God in eternity past does elect individuals for salvation. Now, what I want to kind of point towards before we kind of hit our next point, something that I think kind of is going to help us segue mentally into our next section. And I want to point towards Romans 830 as our example here. Okay, it's not in your handout. I saw a whole bunch of heads go down. That's why I wrote it on the board. So that way we can kind of see it. But also, if you want to flip to it in your Bible, you can do so as well. What we're kind of bridging into here is, let me go ahead and read this. Oh, this. Romans 8.30. And those whom he predestined, <clears throat> he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now you kind of can get a rhythm in this passage that it naturally almost feels like a progression or a stair step. And what I'm getting at here is that there is a a order, so to speak, of salvation. Now I'm not going to get too technical here, but we're beginning to bridge into that today. and so I just want to kind of make your minds aware of this. So we've talked about grace and we've talked about election. So in this passage here, and those whom he predestined, what would we say then is the natural next step? What is said next? What's after being predestined, i.e elected? would you say? It's not complicated, I promise He also you. called. It called, yes. See, I told you. You guys were like, ah, something deep. you too deep. Okay. Called. Called. That's right. So, those who need your he also called. Now, if we got really technical, this is probably, I think, the first time I've thrown out, like, another Greek or something like that, but if you got really fancy with it, to my understanding, the order of salvation, you'd call it the ordo salutis. And I give that to you just so you can go impress your friends, okay? We're not actually going to break that down or anything like that. But we're just talking about there is an ordering to salvation. Now you can kind of mix and, you know, there's arguments over which piece goes where and how this happens and everything like that. And we may talk a little bit more about that, but I'm just wanting to bring that to your awareness, okay? So we come to election. Now we're coming to calling, right? And you'll see that. I think we're on page, very end of page five. Oh, no, I'm not mistaken, I think it just says calling, and then you got to turn, so technically <laughs> six, I guess, right? So, I'm talking about calling. Just give me some opening thoughts here. What comes to your mind when we talk about calling? What do you think we're getting at here if we're talking about calling? Just give me some general ideas, Guess. An appeal to action, perhaps,
1: or okay. action potentially being choice.
2: Sometimes people think of it more exclusively as like you're calling to ministry. You know, oh, okay, just being called
0: called into ministry. I have to keep the straight face because if you guys hit the right answer, I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> These are good. A call um, implies a receiving of a um, message, not so much an initiation from yourself, but a an answer from you internally or a recognition
2: that, oh, I heard something. There is there's, there's an aspect of... <coughs> It wasn't initiated by you, it was received by you. So is that yeah. That's good.
0: I gotta keep it straight face. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, yeah. That's good though. I, I That's good. good. No, I do like that. That is good. There's there's some great points. Absolutely. No, yeah? yeah. All right, so calling. If we kind of took it simplistically, what we're kind of pointing at here is if you were to look at calling, and maybe you did your Bible word study or something like that, use your software, or whatever it is that you're doing, what you would kind of come across is that we're talking about a summons, or an invite, right? A lot of you guys have already kind of hit pieces of this. Now, when we're talking about this summons or uh, invite, it is, we're to think of this summons as this is God the Father summoning individuals to himself, kind of that... Individual call kind of idea, and we'll get a little bit more into this. Now, let me ask you this: I'm going to bridge your understanding. I know I'm kind of like playing hardball here, but what do you think is the means by which God invites for summons? How does He do that? By what means does He do that? I told you this one was a little bit harder. Holy Spirit, through the gospel. The gospel i go ahead and give it. I'm going to go with gospel here, right? So, and the Holy Spirit does play a role. But, he does it via the vehicle of the gospel. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.24, it's not there, it's, this is an extra one I'm going to give you here, is, just listen, to this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel is the means by which this summons, this invitation comes to come to God. Now, we can kind of also break down calling into two forms. You can kind of see that here. We have the effective call, and then we also have what we'd say is the gospel call. So let's kind of have a conversation about both of those there. Let's start with this effective call. Now, if we looked at kind of the definition there, it's talking about this is an act of God, the Father, speaking through the human proclamation of the gospel in which he summons people to himself in such a way that they respond in saving faith. So if you guys can kind of stretch your minds a little bit and go back to our grace conversation, right? We talked about efficacious grace. It's that effective grace, that work of the Spirit, which effectively moves men to believe in Christ, right? Talked about efficacious, meaning it's like producing or capable of producing a desired effect. So here, with this effective call, we are talking about something that it will work. This effective call will complete the task of which it's been sent out to do. So the summons will end up essentially with the sinner responding and saving faith. That's why it's effective. Okay, so. Let's take a couple biblical examples. Let's look at this just a little bit more for some proofs here. John 6, 44. Can I get a volunteer?
2: No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Okay.
0: Acts 16, 14. A woman named Lydia from the city of...
2: Dietary. A seller of purple
1: fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul.
2: Yeah.
0: So, when we're talking about God effectively summoning, in John we read this unless part, don't we? If you kind of take a look at it, unless, so we always have to then ask the question, unless what? lesson you know, is always verifying that there's a condition that needs to be fulfilled. So, we have to ask ourselves, well, unless what? Which points to that condition. Unless, what proceeds? Unless the, who? Father. father. Unless the Father who sent me draws him. So the Father's involved in this summons. Now, also in Acts, though, we have to kind of couple this with our understanding is that, so this person, this woman Lydia, is listening to Paul. Now, 10 to 1, what do you think Paul is talking to her about? Doubt it's the weather. The gospel. Thank you. Yes. So, he's obviously sharing the gospel. Now, he shares the gospel. She's listening. And then, who gets involved next? What does it say? And uh, the Lord. Yeah. Okay. Opened her heart. Now, I'm giving these simplistic answers, but I want to kind of emphasize the scriptural point here that it's through the gospel that God summons us. He calls us. And this call is effective but so Lydia responds comes through the Father now do you think that everyone actually receives this effective call and you've got to put that definition that if they receive the effective call they will come to faith so what do you think does everybody receive this effective call I see heads shaking so no we'd say they don't Right? So, no, because if we also think about that, if everybody did receive this effective call, that meaning every time we share the gospel, it's going to guarantee that the person will become a believer, the world would be a lot more Christianized, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. We would see Christians everywhere, which would be super cool because that means then I could share the gospel with you, you would all believe then you could all turn around and share the gospel, and whoever you share the gospel with would believe. We could take over the world really quickly in a magnificent way, mm-hmm. right? The world would change. So we can obviously look at our surroundings and deduce that not everybody receives this effective call, which leads us to our next point, the gospel call.
2: Oh, Scott, yes. I was just going to add that uh, I heard um, someone they there asking about how it affects their evangelism, uh, Knowing that the eventual calling says so it tells them that gives them confidence that he has guaranteed success that those who God calls he knows that they'll respond to the gospel so it gives him motivation to know that his job is to be faithful to share the gospel and the, the Father will call and all those
0: yeah. takes that responsibility out of our hands because I can't change the human heart
2: sure. mm-hmm.
0: but God can so I'm just the waiter. I'm just bringing the food to the table. Mm-hmm. They don't like it, they don't like it. That's not me, right? Mm-hmm. So, the gospel call. So when we get at the gospel call, with the effectual call, we're actually talking about something that is, let me put it this way. The effective call is also known as like the internal call. Something that actually happens internally Inside of us, and it's also particular. Uh, kind of blended. There we go. Good enough. It's also particular, internal and particular. Now, with just the gospel call, (laughs) this is that general proclamation of the gospel itself the external proclamation of the saving message of the gospel. So, that is that person who is literally just sharing it like. What Pastor Dave does every Sunday, he ends up sharing the gospel in some shape or form. Shares it to everyone as a whole, okay? Now things about the gospel call is that some actually do reject this. We did talk about that. But, we also preach it without discrimination, don't we? We don't try to just say, I like this person, so I'm only going to share the gospel with these folks. Or I'm only going to share the gospel with this direct person or with those who are of my own town, whatever distinction, whatever barriers you wish to put up, we share the gospel indiscriminately to anyone and everyone. Right? So that's one very important aspect of it. Now, another thing that I want to kind of point out here, this may seem a little bit complicated, is that the offer through this general gospel call from God is in fact sincere from God. And the reason I bring that up is because when we, when we focus on sovereign election, and we know that God has preordained whatever comes to pass, sometimes it can seem like that can butt heads in our minds with the gospel call. In the sense that, well, God doesn't really mean that, does he? I mean, if he is already chosen person A, and he's not going to choose B, then when they both receive the gospel... Well, he didn't really mean it to the guy who's B, right? No. we got to kick that out. Every time that the gospel is proclaimed, it is a true invitation from God. Now, that also then puts that blame on that person, whether they willfully choose to accept it or not. So it's something that we kind of just got to make sure that we keep, and so that we don't misunderstand um, or mislabel the Lord, okay? Romans 10:14. I get another volunteer here. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? and how will they hear without a preacher? So according to the above passage, is it possible for the effectual call to come to full term without the gospel call?
1: I think what we're getting into here is the long-term debate as the special revelation um, and uh, you know C.S. Lewis has some different views on it and there's uh, other Christian uh, apologetics masters who have had very different perspectives on it. Um, is, is it possible for the effectual call to come to full term without the gospel call? I, I think so. I think I mean, I think to say that it's impossible is to limit God. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the way that God has chosen to function and the way that God has chosen to enact an effectual call, at least the vast majority of the time is through the gospel call. So I don't know if it's as simple as a a yes or no. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of a yes, but God has chosen generally no I don't know
0: if that makes sense I apologize no, 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 I think I see what you're what you're kind of getting at especially with the God limiting himself, I think, aspect I think what we can lean on is, I think, what we get from the scriptures is that God has chosen the gospel to be the means by which the effectual call comes through let me kind of give an example here, okay Let's say, I'll kind of, we'll do some stick figure drawing here, why not? I don't think I did this last week. Maybe I did, I don't know. But you always gotta have a stick figure of some kind. All right. So let's say you and your friends, you're out for a night on the town. You guys are gonna go get some food or something. I don't know, pick your favorite. Hamburgers, doobies, sushi. I love sushi, it's so good. I know, it's like. Probably only five of us, but whatever. That's okay. Is it on town 8
1: p.m.? Because that's, that's pretty much as late as anything.
0: For for you? Yeah. It's 7.30 is still early. lot can happen. Okay? So, 7.30, you guys are Is That good? Out. Okay. Here we go. Out of nowhere, you're sideswiped by a street evangelist. Let's just randomly call him Dave. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a good I only say that because I know you've done street evangelism. We could probably get some good stories. Okay, so this masked bandit jumps out and he shares the gospel with you. Okay, so Dave accurately gives the gospel call to each one of you. All right? So if you receive that general gospel call. Now, What are the effects of that? Let's say, buddy A and buddy B, eh, it does not hit. Mm -hmm. They shake their head. They're like, I don't know what's wrong with this guy. Two shakes up crazy, talking about Jesus. Who's Jesus? Like it just, you know it doesn't hit. However, in your case, it does. You feel that change. You understand. You can tell the difference. It's come home, right? You shake your head to what they deem as insanity, but you say, that's the truth. I I should be listening to this guy, right? This is, in fact, what we would call that effective call. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. The effective call resides within the general call of the gospel. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now let's kind of move into a little bit more here. Scott, you kind of answered this. I'll just go ahead and throw this out. Maybe somebody else will have an answer for this as well. But given what this teaches, how should this motivate us in proclaiming the gospel? Any other thoughts on that?
2: Because if we're effective
1: Because while God could choose to simply move the hearts of anybody, um, he chooses not to, and he does choose to work through our spirit of the gospel. And so, you know, you can err on the too-calvinistic side of saying, well, it's predestined, so why bother? But the fact is that God chooses um, to do so through us, and we don't know, God does, but we don't know who he's chosen to save um, until, until they've been saved. I'm still figuring out how it it still works predestination-wise,
0: but that's, um, you know, I'll be like 97 and still freaking out about it. And that takes some... Answers are coming, never mind. Just kidding, I'm still working
2: it out. (laughs) I think
1: in terms of evangelism, Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. So if there wasn't this effectual call, then we'd be guaranteed failure Every time he shared the gospel, because no one would actually respond. A man's more wicked and more rebellious than we realize. Uh, so, in that sense, if, if, if Romans 3 is true, no, I don't believe it is, uh, then going out to sharing the gospel would be obedience, but we'd never see fruitfulness from it. It would never produce salvation. So, we, because we know that God works in the hearts of men and women to turn their hearts toward him uh, when they're overwhelmed by his grace and, and goodness. There's a sense where we can faithfully share the gospel in obedience, but also with great hopefulness that it will fall on some good soil. And when that happens, it'll result in salvation and transformation.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because sometimes when you think about sharing the gospel, you have this evaluation in your mind. Like this person, are they would they be receptive? Um, but like when you look at in John 6, that verse we read a second ago. Um, The father who sent me draws him. Um, So that's, it's it's draw or or drag. So when they are fishing, it's the word that they dragged the net in. And later in Acts, Luke used it about when they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. Um, And James, are they not the ones who drag you into court? There's this powerful, strong pull that no matter how resistant someone is when God calls them. He calls them. And so that can encourage us to share the gospel, because if the Father is drawing them, it's sharing the gospel. And I think your illustration is good, and I think one thing that I'd add, too, is that sometimes sometimes person, the ones that didn't, right, that's just another link in a chain of God maybe working in their heart, to might happen later. When Dave hits him later on, you know, yeah. in a couple of weeks, or when Joshua, or whoever, Jason sees him on the street, that stuff. So sometimes we remember that God is the one that's drawing them, and you might just be the waterer. Yeah, that's a good point. Not to lose
0: that hope, just because you shared today and it failed. I feel like we've even had some sharing of those stories. It's like, wow, I didn't think two years down the road. Yeah. He, came to faith <laughs> that guy? Really? But that's yeah. some of the yeah. beauty of it. Yeah, I think, uh, like when I approach people on the street, uh, but, um,
2: there's a sense of destiny in it.
0: You know, knowing that the effective call is under the gospel call. Every time I share the gospel with somebody, um, you know, that is like the necessary condition.
2: You know, that's mm-hmm. one thing that has to happen. And um, yeah, so it's just why am I talking to this person at this time with this message? And um, it's not chance, it's it's destiny. And that gives me a lot of hope um, when I talk to people that they are here right now talking to me. and um, that gives me a lot of encouragement, I guess when I share the gospel. It's not God's brought me this far and brought them this far. We'll see if he finishes the work. Mm-hmm. Good. It is so amazing. That God is able through the power of the gospel.
0: It's the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. You know you just read Romans 3 how evil and wicked man is and yet the power of the gospel is able to reach through that. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just a, a glory to God that he can do that. And that,
1: that should encourage us to mm-hmm. share it because it's his power to do that. To open their hearts and to make it happen. Romans itself also, you know, talks about not being ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God, which which does yeah. bring salvation. Exactly, um, and then it, it talks about um, it's it's uh, it talk it reveals God's righteousness that God's righteousness is revealed through the gospel, um, <coughs> and and that it's it's a righteousness that is that is by faith. Um, from, you know, it says first to last so, you know, beginning to the end the righteous will live by faith um, and so the, the, just the gospel and, and God's righteousness and, and faith in God um, are just so intrinsically linked together and, and I agree I think.
0: it is a message of power isn't
2: it yeah. I think it also impacts our evangelism in that it makes us much more prayerful because, I mean, every time you pray for someone's salvation, you are praying because you know that God has to do something for this to work. Right. Right? Like, we all pray like Calvinists. We all do, or else we wouldn't pray. Mm-hmm. And I think when I was younger, I used to be like, I want to be the one to say the thing to my sister that makes her turn to the Lord and opens her eyes and finds a key to her heart and answers the question or whatever. And now I just realized the Lord has to fundamentally change something. Mm-hmm. And so for every one thing I say to her about the Lord, there's a thousand prayers that have gone up. Mm-hmm because he is the one who has to change her, mm-hmm. and I beg him to do it, mm-hmm. you know?
0: Yeah. yeah, there's some irony, I think, when you talk to folks and they say, oh, God doesn't like violate our free will and stuff, but it is ironic that that's literally what we're asking him to do every time. Yeah. Like, like, Lord, intervene in their life. How many times have you said that? Like, mm
2: mm-hmm.
0: So, motivated to share the gospel, right? So, when we talk about this, how it's relevant to our salvation, it's although the invisible hand of God is ultimately responsible for drawing us to the Savior, He does choose an external gospel call to impact our emotions, our intellect, and will, so that we can respond with faith and repentance. I just brought up a second ago. Now, when we get to this next section here, we're actually finally getting to another section. Can you believe it? We actually moved on a little bit. Wow. But, let me make some room here. So we've been talking about the why. Now, I'm gonna need this room a little bit later. Now, let's move from why to how how we accept <coughs> salvation. So we've talked about the gospel Can I left hand over here. How? how do we? Oftentimes when we begin to have this discussion of how, we sometimes frame it with the word of conversion, right? You guys are probably very familiar with that. maybe have used that in some shape or form. Conversion is important to understand, and what I mean by conversion is that it's our willing response to the gospel call we just talked about, in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. Now hold this hand up because there's two things there, right? And what we're discussing about in this how we accept the gospel, we're talking about, like I said, conversion as a whole, but we do this via faith. And Faith and repentance. okay When you think of conversion, I think something that's been really helpful, think of it like a coin. In the regards of, you have, say, said coin, a, a quarter, right? And what do you have on each side? One side you have George Washington, the other side you have the eagle. And granted, I know today there's like tons of these like yeah, collector the coins. GCCs, this is, yeah, yeah I was going to say, if you, this this analogy basically has already been replicated. This is going on. So. <laughs> Okay, so the old-fashioned coins, the ones that I like. I don't like the new ones. It's too confusing. I don't know what's going on. It's like there's people, there's places, there's things. Which is it? What is it? It's a quarter, okay? So it's a quarter. <laughs> so the old quarter had George Washington on one side and it had the eagle on the other. This is a good means in the regards of conversion is faith is on one side of that coin and repentance is on the other. But those two combined together, working together, make up conversion. Is that gonna help get the picture there? So that's what we're talking about. The coin of conversion, I guess you could say. So do you like, like flip a coin and this? See, it? You know, I told you it had holes. Don't poke too hard. This isn't heads up, good yeah. luck. Like so. Oh, I got faith this time. I got repentance. <laughs> <laughs> They're both good. So you can't lose. <laughs> so flip that coin. No, okay. That's all right. What Band ship. the coin and standard. On its side. Oh,
1: what nice. I'm hearing is that I should be up here. And here we go.
0: <laughs> I will not be back up here next week. <laughs> Thanks for nothing, guys. <laughs> <sighs> so, my cool coin analogy. <laughs> faith, faith. Let's bring very it back. <laughs> so faith, one side of the of that coin. Make sure we're not going over here. Okay. In definition. 'Cause I think we can kind of we can start to explain faith in so many different ways, but what we need to kind of get at here is first let's talk about what faith is not. Okay. So faith doesn't rely just in the realm of it's not just mere knowledge. I.e. it's natural to have knowledge of say the gospel, right? You have we have to understand like who Jesus was, his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection what he has done, who God is, how heinous our sin is, and our desperate need for a Savior. We need to understand those facts. But understanding those facts alone doesn't constitute faith. Right? And maybe some of you guys have, have any of you, say, in your conversion, my cool coin, experienced that where you kind of thought, hey, my faith is knowing the right things. Does that click with anybody? not like you have to give me a personal testimony. I won't necessarily say, close your eyes, raise your hands, and I'll point you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think we can kind of reminisce with that. I know personally I can, because I think as a kid, I used to think that if I died, when I died, I would go to heaven, and it was like I'd then end up like in an interrogation room or mm-hmm. something. I know this is weird, but that's what's going on, yeah. right? Because I thought it was the divine test waiting for me. I had this, like, image of, like, a dark room with the one lamp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just got <laughs> the paper. Scale of 0
2: to 100, right? Yeah.
0: I get the thing with the, and then they ask me troubling questions that my heart always races to, mm-hmm. right? I always thought it was going to be, like, this test. And on the other side, there's going to be, like, Peter or Paul or Gabriel, and they're the cop with the rolled-up sleeve and that <laughs> kind of thing going on. And that I'd have to pass this test. That I'd have to know, you know, who brought the Ten Commandments down for me? I just, Moses? Like, okay, one, now a hundred more. That's not what we're getting at here. Just simply knowing the facts, because we know there are folks that know the facts, but that's not what faith is. So kind of need to establish that. Does that kind of make sense? You guys been there? Okay. All right. The other thing about it, let's kind of bridge this knowledge barrier here. Knowledge... And approval is not enough. Does that make sense? What I'm getting at is, is that if you know the right facts, and let's say you say, okay, those are the facts. Yeah. Jesus, he was a real guy. Jesus died. He was buried. He was resurrected. You state, and then you also affirm those things, are still not saying that that's faith. Okay? Mere assent to the factual knowledge isn't enough either take an example of this. Acts 26, 27 through 28. Could I get somebody to read that, please? King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Yeah, so this is in one of Paul's defenses. So he's on his way to Rome, right, answering. And so He's brought to trial. In this particular passage, it's really fascinating, and I think it's really good. I enjoy this passage just with Paul's remarks and his rebuttals and everything like that. But if I remember right, Festus is there too, if my memory's correct, right? So Paul's making this defense of the gospel. Now King Agrippa's there. And if my memory serves correctly, King Agrippa does have kind of these Jewish roots, this heritage. In the regards that, he knows the prophets. He knows the Old Testament. He knows all these things. And the interesting thing is that Paul also knows that he knows. And so Paul appeals to that angle. And King Agrippa, we could probably also say that he this is probably like he's a he's a good Jewish boy. He probably would live to some of these standards and affirm, yeah, that's what you should be doing. But there's something missing. And that's why his respond is, Paul, are you trying to convert me? Right? There's something missing inside King Agrippa. He has the knowledge, and he affirms that those truths are true, but there's something else missing. Hence why we could say that King Agrippa isn't exercising true faith. Okay? So, have you ever run into this, or seen this? Can you think of an example of this kind of behavior, say, in our society today? You don't don't get like a name of a person, but <laughs> if there's something that you've run across that you've seen before, you think.
1: I mean, that was that was me when I was I was younger. I'm not sure I actually believed. I'm still trying to figure that out. But for years, I defended the apologetics of Christian faith while living. To argue with the best of them, and I and I did about like why Christianity was true, and then I, I didn't believe it. You know, I logically it made sense, but then I just just okay.
0: Okay. We're entering into there's there's a hole in something, isn't there? Right, we need something more to finish this out. Another kind of example that I kind of think of is so. Uh, I, I enjoy listening to politics and podcasts and that kind of thing. My wife is the polar opposite. Like and that's she's probably healthier for it. But mm-hmm. one thing I always think of is we use these terms now as far as like the American evangelical if you want to get like with a divisive term you could say like Christian nationalist or something like that. Now I'm not trying to be political here, but what I'm pointing out is that what always comes to my mind when I think of these terms is that essentially we're talking about a group of people that affirm those things that apply to the Christian faith. They would agree with us on things like, say, abortion being wrong, right? We believe in the sanctity of human life. We would probably agree on measures of how we should structure our families, husband, wife, right, man and woman, and how we should be raising our children, all these kind of things. A lot of things that if we met these folks, we would, we would be buddies, Essentially, we would agree strongly with them in a lot of things. But the thing that I always think of is, has that knowledge developed or is developed into true actual faith? Okay, so now I've alluded for a long time here. Let's actually get into a real true definition here. Saving faith. What differentiates it? So saving faith is trust in Jesus Christ. As a living person for forgiveness of sins, for eternal life. Now, this definition emphasizes the personal trust. That's what I'm kind of hitting on here. If you were to circle trust in this paragraph, you're going to find it four times. So, personal trust in uh, relation to faith. So, one can believe, for instance, that the Kansas capital is Topeka. That's a fact. We can know that and affirm that, right? Right? But that doesn't actually require me to place my trust into that. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So in the same way, one can believe that Jesus is Lord, but believing just simple facts about Jesus does not save that person. There has to be trust involved. And something that we kind of uh, pass over here real quick, though, is that, for instance, the demons believe, don't they? But would we equate them with saving faith? No. <laughs> we can easily affirm that. Yeah. So, and honestly, they probably have a fantastic knowledge, so to speak. I don't take that too far. But does that make sense? I mean, they know who God is. That's why when they run into Jesus and they affirm rightly who he is, that's not faith. Okay? So, it's that trust. Uh, this one isn't in your notes, but I think it helps. Hebrews 11.1 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Right? When sometimes you get into those conversations about Jesus and such, so well, where's Jesus? Or it's, we believe these realities, but we can't necessarily that we can see them here and now. But we do hold and we trust and we believe in them. Another good helper, um, let me give you two more here, is that trust in Jesus Christ as a living person for forgiveness of sins and for eternal life with God. And this one in particular, I think, kind of drives some of this home. Faith begins with knowledge. We have affirmed that. And assent, but it does not stop until it reaches the will's utter reliance on Christ for one's personal salvation. That's why we say through faith alone, Christ alone. Right? That is what we are literally banking on. You believe it and we trust it. Does that kind of make sense? Okay. I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to give my illustration here. We'll see how far this goes. Dave might poke a hole in it or somebody else will. It'll go as well as my coin. Indiana Jones. Here we go. Right? Some of you guys may already be like, putting the connections. you like, why is he going there? I'm going to go for it. So, Lauren and I, we just recently watched The Last Indiana Jones. It was pretty good. But in preparation for it, I'm kind of sad. Like, Harrison Ford, that poor guy, he's getting old. He's like 80, 81 now. Mm -hmm. This is like, I kind of was sad because for me, he was like one of them action heroes. And it's like, oh, no. (laughs) Like, there go I. (laughs) So, point being is like, we're prepping to go see this. And so, what do you have to do? You got to watch all the other ones to go for the first one. So we're watching, like, four movies. that takes, like, three weeks because we have kids. And so we get to this third one, though, right? Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade, the whole idea is him and dad, Sean Connery, other awesome actor. So where was I? Oh, yeah. So Indiana Jones, third one. They're looking for the Holy Grail. Got to go through the Holy Grail. They got to take on Nazis. It's just, yes. So... Got to take on the Nazis and get to the Holy Grail and everything. Now, my point is this. At the end of the movie, some of you guys very well know these scenes and everything. He's got to go through three challenges, right? You have the breath of God, the word of God, and the path of God. Now, it's this last one that I want to kind of point to here, okay? So Indiana gets to this final trial. He comes through. He's kind of like already worked his way through, survived the first two challenges, gets to this last one. And what is it? It's a giant chasm comes out of this like you know rocky crevice that he's been going through and he has to get to the holy grail which is on the other side of this seemingly endless pit this chasm right but there's a door on the other side that's where the holy grail lies that's where he has to get and how does he get it what are the clues given right is that you have to believe boy right Sean Connery he's tapping out he's been shot oh I just gave you some like you know I won't spoil it totally but he's gotta get there and the whole time it's going back and forth between him and dad, him and dad kind of thing and he's got to believe, right? So it comes to the fact of the fact that Indiana knows facts. He is trying to sit there and with the facts make this equation work. But what it has to come down to is he has to believe and he has to trust, essentially. And so that's where you see that cataclysmic <clears throat> moment where he kind of he does the like, I watched it this morning. He takes the foot out and then he takes the step, right? Now he doesn't fall into the chasm, right? He actually hits just a camouflage bridge, kind of like. "Ah." But it was cool. Music plays. Indiana had to go from just knowing facts and to affirming those facts to actually moving to trust. Did that work? I think, okay. it, I think it did,
2: yeah. <laughs> and then he, throws, then
0: he throws dirt on it so you can see the bridge. Yeah. It's like, why don't you do that first? Is, yeah, <laughs> realize that after the fact. Yeah. He was <laughs> sharing, spreading the. No, yeah. okay, I won't. Yeah,
1: okay. that's <laughs> a bad idea. Also, I think that if somebody has Indiana Jones, like the third one spoiled for them at this point, that's a personal problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's been out for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> a few days. I've never seen it. <gasps> oh
0: no I did ruin it for you oh. <laughs> check it out big angel probably a good idea <laughs> okay. gotta have that personal faith gotta have that trust You gotta have that reliance on Christ alone which is why I have to move to the fact that if I come to that table not that there's going to be a test or a table but the only thing that I could prove is not how much Bible I know I can't lay out the facts in front of said Peter, Paul, Gabriel, whoever's on the other side of that table. I just have to plead Christ for my case. It is in Christ alone in what he has done on the cross for me, for you. Right. That's what we rely on. Okay. Make sense? Hopefully? Just fuck away with this Indiana Jones. All right. Well, I think we're probably just about there will not bridge into uh, repentance today. So let's go ahead and pray for the day, okay? Well, Father God, we do thank you very much for your kind mercies to us. Lord God, we are grateful for this time that we get to come and to see what you have done. Father God, please help us to continue in the faith which you have given Mm -hmm. us, to continue to trust Christ more, to continue to love you more, to continue to glorify Father God. With each day, may we learn these truths anew, and may we never become dull to them. So Lord, we just thank you. We pray for the service ahead. Please be with all those in leadership that will guide us and direct us in worship. Please bless uh, Pastor Dave with the message of which he will give to us. And Lord, we pray that we as a
2: congregation will have tender hearts towards it. And in all this, may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.